0: I'm lying in hospital. I have IVs in both arms. I have drains coming out of my stomach. I'm sharing a room with someone who I can't see behind a curtain. I am recovering from my second surgery in one week, abdominal surgery. I am in a lot of pain.
1: Hey there, and welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter, a weekly podcast on the art and craft of the personal narrative story. And this is our first episode. This podcast is brought to you by me, Sean Wellington, and my partner, Kurt Mullen. Each week, Kurt and I are going to tackle one question... And answer it as best we can so that we can help you craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories, true stories, personal stories, grit stories. Now you're going to hear from Kurt in just a moment because he's got a lot to say about our first question that we're going to tackle here, is storytelling a hobby? And after Kurt and I answer this question, you'll hear a story, a grit story by our future storyteller. Julie Baker. Julie also has something to say about that question, is storytelling a hobby? So when she's done with her story, you'll hear her answer as well. Thanks so much for listening. Let's dive in. Why are we talking about hobby? Why are we doing that as our first one?
2: Storytelling is what we've said. The word story... Is It's like one of the first words that we come to know and like, like when, even before we go to school, there's story time and there's story books and there's a story land, which is like a kind of a theme park near me in New Hampshire. They're all associated with, with children. And so I think naturally you think that this is something you do as a side thing, like the person who tells stories might go for hikes, or they might take up knitting and this kind of thing, but stories uh i almost want to replace the word stories sometimes because it's way bigger than that i've heard it said stories to human is like water is to fish stories are all around us mm-hmm. and we're they're in business they're at the bar they're at the ticket gate they're uh when we're on a date they're just happening all the time we're always telling stories what happened today How did I get here? Why did I go to that school? Why did I flunk out of that school? Why did I get into this career? Why do I need more money? We're talking, why did I have three kids? Why did I have no kids? It's all about stories. Mm. We don't just throw out a number, I have three kids. If that was your date and someone said, I have three kids and they didn't say anything else about it, you'd be like, what the hell? (laughs) Like, there's nothing there. I don't wanna be with you. You wanna be with people who can tell stories. not a hobby. It is a way of life, whether you like it or not. So why not get good at it?
1: You have no choice. Really, but it's not a hobby because by default you're in it. So if you wanna do something with that to be better at it, either way you're in it, we don't have a choice. There's also this idea that like,
2: no matter what you're doing to get your money and however however you're spending your time, you're also on the hook for figuring out like what you're doing here and how best to spend your time. And And my best way to figure out who I am is to get up on stage or to get in front of people and tell the story I think that I need to tell in the way that I think I need to tell it. And by the way, when I'm done with it, there's often this inner conversation with me where I'm like, oh, I know how to do that better next time. I picked up this book, picked it up out of a box of books that were being discarded. And it's from the 90s. and And the book's called, What Should I Do With My Life? The True Story of People Who Answer the Ultimate Question by Poe Bronson, okay?
1: I, think I remember that guy.
2: Do you? Okay. So when it came out in the 90s, I should have read it because I was in the nine, I was in my twenties. And I so anyway, I just flipped it open the other day. I'm like, is this something I actually want to read at this age? Because now I'm 48. The first freaking lines, I, I was like, I gotta, I gotta copy this out because I gotta let Sean know. Okay. And so this is what they say. It's so directly applies to storytelling. We wanna know where we're headed, not to spoil our own ending by ruining the surprise. But we want to ensure that when the ending comes, it won't be shallow. Mm. We will have done something. We will not have squandered our time here. Mm. Okay? So the way for me not to hide is to tell. I know what it's like to be a quiet observer. Being the youngest in the family and in the dynamics, it just—it it was natural for me to sort of be sitting back. What I noticed, I was telling a friend this the other night, I'm like, When you sit back, you give up on living a life that has stories in it because the story, your story is when you're making decisions, when you're making actions, when you're doing stuff, when you're asserting yourself, Mm. not when you're sitting back and watching. So all that stuff that I kind of picked up as a college English major, like about being observant and stuff, I don't know where it came from, but I adapted it as part of my personality. Well, now I see a little missed opportunity. Because when I thought it was virtuous to sit back and kind of take note, a bunch of stuff that I'd end up forgetting probably anyway. Like, no, I could have been the guy who walked up and jumped off the train trestle. And I could have been the guy who walked up to that person and said, hey, I'm Kurt Mullen, how you doing? Instead of just sitting back and going, huh, this is a room full of people and I don't know about the vibe here and you know, mm. sort of analyzing it.
1: I think it's interesting. Either way, you're, you are in that thing of a story but you do have a little say in it or more than a little say in it. It's interesting, man. Yeah. There's a misunderstanding relevant to what we're talking about. I may not be able to find the words. I think there's just a misunderstanding of sort of what it is and why it matters. When you share a story, a well-told story, a well-crafted story, we'll spend a lot of this podcast talking about what that means. Yeah. And what that looks like. I think you kind of just know, oh man, that's a thing. Whatever I just heard, all right, that's not a kid's story. Even though we're using the same word story, I have a podcast called Suicide Noted. I talk about or talk with suicide attempt survivors and their quote, stories. They're not telling stories typically on that podcast. So I'm going off on a tangent here. But
2: on your tangent, I think a lot about your other podcast. I think about what happens when everything is stripped away. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so I was reading this morning in this great book called Emergent Strategy. And this woman, Adrienne Marie Brown is the author. And she talks about great leaders of the world who are deposed, who lose it all, right? Or exiled throughout history. And then they start to tell their story or their story becomes much more simple because all this stuff is stripped away. And then they become human. Mm. That's what I hear on your podcast. Everything's been stripped away. They've gotten to a point that is so they seem to come back from that point of near self-destruction and mm-hmm. gratitude. And I think maybe our fav- my favorite storytellers have some of that on the tip of their tongue, where they're like, they've seen some dark stuff. They've seen some hard stuff, as I mm-hmm. think everybody our age has. Mm-hmm. And they're willing to be honest about it and not be like, oh, well, today's another day. Part of the beauty of storytelling is figuring out who you are. And... Mm-hmm. Even though I'm nearly 50, and even though I've always sort of asked myself, who am I? And I've been, you know that there's a side of you that you haven't accessed. You know, I always look a certain way in the background, I look a certain way. My voice will sound a certain way. There's shit I'm going to always bring to the table. But there's humanity inside me that I haven't had the imagination to call out in this art form yet. Anyway, you make changes and you just listen to other people. You don't make shit up you don't make yourself up you just try to access another genuine part of yourself you know mm-hmm. i just think that's the deal when,
1: when we what... boil it down people go through something and they come through it they're not necessarily through it it might be still happening but they go through something and as a result something's a little different
2: that's what and it's wh- all about right every good story has change some kind yeah
1: change or i like to think of it also as awareness, which is a kind of change. When we're talking about hobby, if someone says it's a hobby, are you thinking, no? Are you saying, whether you realize it or not, whether you want to accept it or not, you're in it, it matters, they matter, what are you gonna do with it? Is that what we're getting at?
2: Yeah, what I would really love to do for the both of us to be able to do is to reach more people because people turn to stories to make meaning out of their lives and life is so rapid and to use a well-worn word to describe us today uh fragmented mm-hmm. so we're just flying through and getting through our days and figuring stuff out and it's almost like a, the time for thinking about yourself the time for reflection for coming up with your stories in other words belongs to the category of like recreation Right. Uh, Slash hobby. And what I'm saying, and perhaps you agree, is fine. I get it. And you can have that. I mean, that is one way of looking at the world in a capitalistic society. I get it. Totally get it. Life is freaking hard. And guess what? The phone's Something new is going to come up. And people are busy, right? People are so busy.
1: What do I have time for this stuff? I've got all this other stuff. I can barely keep afloat.
2: I mean- I don't have kids. At night, I'm too tired to read. <laughs> okay. What if I had a kid? What if I had four of them? It's astounding. I mean, no. So there wouldn't be a lot of time for reflection. But the thing about this is, is if you are able to carve out, I do believe everybody's able, if they have the will, to carve out some time during the week for themselves, it carries over because. It becomes invaluable to the individual. We're always on the hook to tell our stories. Mm -hmm. So I get fired from my job? Well, time to reinvent Kurt Mullen. Mm. How do I do that? I tell a different story. Mm. I start with the fact that I got fired from my last job. No, I'm talking about my own transition, how I need something different to get me stimulated. And I'd actually, if I come to your company, because I've done X, Y, and Z in the past, I feel like I can do this to this army, your company, and you're going to be happy that in six months that you hired me. It's that kind of story. I mean, that's not the type of story that we geek out on, but you can take the lessons learned by geeking out a little bit and, and listening to some storytelling skills and bring them back and look your boss in the eye or your potential employer and start to tell a better story about yourself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Maybe that's not as sexy, but it's certainly transferable. And I'm really interested in people feeling like they can max out their time. So the person, the lady who learns storytelling goes to the wedding, doesn't hesitate, gets up and gives the kick-ass toast at her best friend's wedding. Mm. Okay, She gets laid off from her job. Well... She's got stories. She's a freaking storyteller. There's no stopping this person. When she shows up at a job interview, she's not going to be this boring person. She's going to be like, no, let me tell you who I am because that's what storytellers do. I am the hero in this narrative. I'm not telling you how great my last boss was. This is me. This is what I'll do for your company, that kind of thing. I'm remembering a student I had this summer who said, So you're saying work our stories, like work our stories, develop a story, rehearse a story. She said, well, what about like a good storyteller at the dinner table? They just make it happen. And my answer, I don't know if I had an answer right away. Uh, I had to think about like, what is a good answer to that question? Yes. And so when you say things like, oh, I see that they are preserving surprise. All we're saying is, good stories thankfully are told at dinner time every night they're told on the way to the post office they're told at the gas station it happens They you make people make me laugh they impact me with their stories the thing is when you just learn a few things and take some time to like listen to what makes a good story you have that experience a lot more in your life right because then you're like it becomes sort of like a muscle memory and you're like okay I'm actually not going to volunteer that just yet. I'll just save that a little bit and maybe it'll have an impact. And oftentimes it does. And that's the element of surprise that can be so wonderful for people listening to stories. If the storyteller knows how to do it. Right. When you get a handle on this stuff, you can really tell a good story and you can tell a lot more good stories.
1: So all of that is why it's not a hobby.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so it deepens your experience of being a human being while you're here on earth. So that doesn't sound like a hobby to me. My little sticking point in this conversation is that I guess I have an issue with the word hobby because mm-hmm. I guess my view of the word hobby could be more positive. That word to a lot of people is a very nice thing. Right? You have time in my life for something other than gathering in providing, I I have this, this thing to do. And I get to think about what I mean to myself and I can ask these questions and it's, well, it begins, I can see quickly how it does sound like a hobby to a lot of people. And then when I think about you don't get to stay here forever and Mm. uh, you do make choices that in life about, okay, how much money do I need and how much How much time am I going to spend at this thing and this thing and this thing? And at some point, a lot of people just say, I need to figure this out. This thing's going really, really, really fast. I've lost some people real close to me. As we get older, the days just flick flick by. Mm -hmm. So it's beyond hobby for me to say, what am I doing here? Who am I now? Who am I now? Who am I now? Instead of saying, oh, tomorrow's a brighter day. Yeah, sure. I can say that when today was lousy. But it's also like, who am I now, do I need to be? I, I don't know why I've always had this sort of snarky vision of what, of hobby.
1: It sounds like it's not important. Right. It seems there- like it's, when I have time, it's a side gig. And I yeah. and get that, that's fair, right? The world we live in, chances are, you do have to spend a lot of time doing certain things, whether you like them or not, that provide money and resources and yeah. like you said, hunting or gathering in its sort of modern form. Yeah. And it just doesn't leave a lot of time. But here's the thing. I think I've never found anything that can be so easily learned and so powerfully, and so powerfully affect people. You can move them a little bit. You can make them pause for a moment. You can uh, create a space for them to think a, in a little different way. Maybe it's just a moment for them to cry or to laugh. Nothing else that I found even close to what this allows people to do that's just what it does for others. We can talk more about what does it do for you to have those tools at your disposal. If I ask you almost anything about your life, you will almost always invariably go to something that's, how are you? I'm okay. If you want to ask a follow-up question, what do you mean? What's up? Well, you're going to start getting into something in your life that you did. Because it's what life is. We are living. We are literally verbs. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Everything that you do, everything that you are, is based on this stuff that happens in our lives and how we respond to it. Like it that's just what it is. I, I'm still struggling with the words, but it's so clear to me in my brain, it just doesn't come out my mouth.
2: I think you you've said it.
1: It's true. It's like water and fish, it's like oxygen. You can't not be in it if you're alive. You shared something with me. And now because of this, I get off that phone call, I'm like, I think I have a little bit better sense of Kurt. Yeah, yeah. What Kurt's going through. Like, I I just have a better sense of it. Yeah. What else do you want? That's it. Well, that's what we're looking for.
2: Hobby. So you had a show last night, 99 mm-hmm. Second Show, and yep. one story, one woman, first time teller, and she tells us a COVID-19 story. But it isn't. It's a COVID-19 story about how, her husband of 20 years left her.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, so she's got me because a lot of people who are in relationships are struggling in COVID-19 because all of a sudden your world is smaller, your choices are fewer, you see a lot more of each other, you're around, you're working at home, et cetera. And um, this woman freaking trumps the whole deal that she says, and he left me after a 20 year marriage. And I'm like, okay, I don't know this person. She life. seems highly intelligent to me. I know the person who recommended for her to be here is highly intelligent. Mm-hmm. And here she is. And she takes life seriously enough to say this is what happened. And it's serious shit. And so my my concept of hobby is, is more like knitting macrame, uh, making foil stars for the top of the tree, collecting acorns and making... <laughs> I don't know, man, but she, she comes out with like, this is real and this is what happened. And that just blows the word hobby right off the water. You know, it's just like, right. it's way more than hobby. It's real life stuff. And she went to work today. And she stood up at her laptop this evening because she wanted to be heard on the story. And it wasn't a pity party. It right. wasn't a pity party. And if it was a pity party, it wouldn't have worked. And she knew enough about storytelling to know that.
1: And as a result, Uh, we listened, right? Yeah, we totally. Legitimately were engaged. Because one of the things with story is that when when you're doing it, how how do I want to say this? Well, I know it's subjective, but when you're getting it, when you understand some of it, you understand that some of what you're doing is doing things so that the person or people listening continue to listen. Mm -hmm. Literally, like actually are engaged. Mm-hmm. She decided to tell a story. Let's talk about hobby for a second. She just had to tell a story that fucking matters. I'd rather hear that story about a woman being like going there. It's more than just COVID. It's more than just her husband leaving her. What? It's like a universal thing, loss or oh, yes, yeah. Well, I don't have a husband, and he didn't leave me. If I did, but I can. There's something about that, if nothing else, that I watched witnessed. Several last night, people share something that was a real thing, not a small thing, and do it in a way where I wanted to hear more. Not roll my eyes, not have them shut up, not hear less, more. That's a skill. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you. We're talking about how when you do <laughs> When you die and people show up at your wake and yes. they're like, oh i remember when kurt helped me with my flat tire and and no one asks gets to ask you if that's the way you wanted to be remembered but if you become a storyteller in life you have some authority over like no these are my stories if you mm-hmm. want to get to know me while i'm alive then here they are whether you record them and keep them recorded or you share them with people or you transcribe or whatever it's like this is the stuff that matters to me right now and I'm gonna tell this story uh, to you. Uh, You can get to know me if you like. I'm not fucking around, I'm not acting right now. This is my true story and here we go. And so it's not something that a lot of people do. I feel like my goal in life is to get more people to do it. It connects people, causes people to be more empathetic and it's also a great thing for the mind there's stuff that you can learn and anybody can learn it and it makes all areas of life better. You stand a better chance and have a better life with deeper meaning and better jobs and better conversations and more laughs.
1: Is not one of almost every human being's goal on some level to be understood? Yeah. Isn't that just just baseline?
2: I have noticed when I've lost loved ones that it's a little heartbreaking to see how a whole life can be turned into these stories that, and you're watching, you're hearing what people are saying about this loved one. You're like, I knew the guy. I don't know if that's the story he'd be telling. In fact, I I know he wouldn't want to be in this church or, you know, in all this garbage you've chosen for him. No, he had a different thing going on. He didn't, you know, get time to tell you about it. But so, it, what it causes in me is it's less about memory, but just more like being known. You know, those people you care to be known to. And for some reason, when I finally got up on the stage to tell a story, I like accessed something else. I was like, oh wow, I really like that. All these strangers know what I'm kind of follow what I'm I'm saying. It connects me to this bigger group of people, and suddenly. I felt like it made me a better person because my world was bigger. You know, I was like, yeah, I I step into a room with a couple hundred people there. And my goal is to connect. That's a good goal to have in life. You're living life when you step in front of a couple hundred people and you say to yourself, I'd really like to connect with these people.
1: Yeah. And you don't take it. It's not a hobby for you.
2: Sometimes a story, it, it isn't what you think it is until you start to spend some time with it and you kind of clear away some of the dirt and you're like, oh, okay, this is why this stands out in my memory. There's something a little bit better for me to talk about here. And when you're winging it in front of a group of people, you don't always get there. Sometimes you do. Right. When we work on stories and when I tell my students, you know, I, I basically tell them through five weeks, work on the one story. Mm-hmm. And uh, no one's resisted that. They understand from the get-go that if they want, there's a lot to it. There's stuff you can do. There's all kinds of stuff you can do. But what I love is how their story changed. stories change from week to week simply by spending time in that experience. What happens to everybody too in some stories is they're like, oh, now I remember. Yeah. But when people are super clear, mm-hmm on what they're gonna share with you, and they're super clear that there's an emotional connection to each one of those lines, and there's no throwaway line there, because they've worked it, it can be, the outcome can just be absolutely unforgettable. Yeah. Yeah. So the dude doesn't show up at the water cooler with one of those.
1: Usually (laughs) not.
2: So you work your stories.
1: It's weird actually how people don't know this more.
2: I know. So I don't know if this fits in, but, um, you know, my mother passed away uh, six years ago. She was a great woman, really insightful, and sweet, and generous, giving. But um, she had some painful experiences in her deep past. And her way of dealing with parents who drank and the mess that made of their, their home life, her way of dealing it was uh, tamping it down. So throughout my life with my mother, uh, which only ended when I was 42 years old, I feel like I might have heard her mention my grandfather like 20 or 25 times. Her father. Yeah, Yeah. my grandfather, her father. And now that she's gone, I was like, you know, I could have handled whatever she saw, you know, if she were willing to tell that story. And, you know, some people think that telling stories that have sorrow in them Somehow cancer causing, <laughs> I don't know what they're thinking, but they're thinking it's something to avoid like the plague. But, you know, I would have liked to have heard who that guy was yeah. in, in 3D, you know, and only she had that info for me. You know, that's another reason why uh, now that I'm way into this, I'm like, why don't they teach this stuff in high school? Cause it's right. like passing down personal histories and it's, yeah. it, it can amount to so much.
1: You teach an intro storytelling class, right? Yeah. Five weeks? Yes. Ten hours? Eight hours?
2: Yeah, it's an hour and a half a night. So not even. work
1: on one story. Truly, like, I mean, you're not much of a gloater. What you share with them and then what they then take and apply, it's a big difference.
2: I love it. I love connecting. It's a big,
1: like, and when they know that stuff, I mean, you could forget it, I suppose, but you kind of know it. You need reminders and it doesn't always mean you can apply it easily to every moment, right? We know, for example, taking the surprise thing, for, it's not always easy to work that into every story beautifully. You sometimes have to work it, figure yeah. it out. Maybe you don't do it, maybe this, maybe that. But they, it's on their radar. Yeah. It wasn't on their radar probably. And there's not a list of a thousand things. There's not that many things. Uh, yeah. Applying them is challenging, but but doable. Right.
2: And I think um, having students, too, it's another way of, of growing this community because yeah. you're just absolutely able to share your enthusiasm with them. And when it takes, and a lot of times it does, it's such a great feeling. It's an awesome feeling, you know. I An email I got the other day, you know, this guy, Michael, he's a therapist, and he just won his first Story Slam, and he was my student up until a couple of weeks ago. And he said something like, um, you know, you've opened up uh, a new form of expression to me. Which to, to me, I was like, what? You know,
1: I'm, I'm writing that down. I'm going to copy that and use you that.
2: You did, and it, and it just it totally made my day. Because I knew how he felt. I know how it feels. Julie got into st- storytelling, I think, like three years ago. You'd show up at the Moth in Boston, and she'd be volunteering. She'd be signing people up. And then, she, if she were called, she would tell a story she does not move, stop moving her legs. You know, she's mm-hmm. just going to keep going. And she seems uh, to have the most energy for developing more stories, I'm going to say. And she's also writing. So I'm going to say, like, she relates really well to the topic. You know, there's that, that quote I sent you the other day from Octavia Butler. And it's like a positive obsession. Without it, there is no life. Mm. So it's always having that next thing that you're fascinated by. And she seems completely fascinated. That doesn't really look like a hobby to me. It looks like a healthy obsession, a positive obsession.
1: Our feature storyteller, Julie Baker, who lives up in Massachusetts. This is an eight minute story. And be sure to stick around after Julie's done when she answers the question, is storytelling a hobby?
0: The music is so loud. I mean I understand I'm in a public hospital and I've been listening to it all day but now it's almost midnight. I'm lying in hospital. I have IVs in both arms. I have drains coming out of my stomach. I'm sharing a room with someone who I can't see behind a curtain. I am recovering from my second surgery in one week, abdominal surgery. I am in a lot of pain. And then there's all this stuff going on in the room. I see a basketball player in a Hawaiian shirt. I see a kitty train outside my eighth floor window and there's stuffed animals in it, really big, huge stuffed animals who are waving at me. And there's a cat chasing a mouse across the floor. But I know, (laughs) I know these things aren't real. I know that I have a vivid imagination, but the music, enough is enough. I'm not going to be a nice patient anymore. I buzz the nurse's station and I tell the receptionist, can someone please come in to check where the music's coming from and make it stop? She kind of answers like, okay, and then when someone comes in, it's not just one someone, it's a nurse and a nurse aide. This never happens. So I'm a little bit confused. And then they start walking around the room, knocking on things and saying, is this where the music's coming from, Julie? Is this where the music's coming from? And I realize that they don't hear the music. And if they don't hear the music, it must not be real. But I hear the music, so I must be crazy. So now I'm sick and I'm crazy? I start to cry and sob. The doctor on call comes in and he sits down on my bed, which would normally be really nice. He's kind of attractive. But, you know, the boogers, the drains... He asked me to tell him about other things I might be seeing or hearing, and I'm afraid. My daughter made me watch American Horror Story with her, and it was the year of the psych ward, and people who hallucinated um, were strapped to gurneys and taken away, and every episode, there was somebody strapped to a gurney and taken away, and I feel like I'm in an episode of American Horror Story, and they're going to take me away. But I tell him anyway, I tell him about the cat chasing the mouse and I tell him about how my bed turns into a bar and there's these well-dressed men with cologne. I can smell playing cat's cradle over my bed and how when they dangle the red yarn on my face, I can feel it. And it's really, really creepy. And he tells me that I'm not crazy that I have post-surgical delirium, that it can be caused by sleep deprivation and by prolonged anesthesia. I've had two nine-hour surgeries, by infection, I'm septic, by antibiotics, by pain medication. I said, okay, so, so when are you gonna take me away? And he said, take you away where? I said, well, to the psych ward. And he said, oh, Julie, you're not crazy. You're sick and we made you this way. And I'm still crying, but I feel a little bit better. And I said, what are you going to do to make me better? And he said, well, first you need to get some sleep. That'd be nice, I said. But every time I close my eyes, I see really, really, really awful things and And I don't even tell him about the awful things I see. I don't even want to think about the awful things I see. They involve people I love and bad, bad things happening. And I asked him if he could hit me in the head with a cartoon mallet, you know, like the one the roadrunner hits the coyote with, and then it'll just knock me out cold and I won't have to see the pictures behind my eyes. And he said, you know, I have no such mallet but we do have medication. Suddenly my roommate's gone and the nurse opens up the curtain so I can see all the way to the door. So I'm alone, but the music's still loud and I'm still seeing weird things, but, but I slept like the dead and I said, how am I supposed to know what's real and what's not real? The psychiatrist who was called in said, well, if you don't know, you call the nurse and you say, is this real? Is this not real? So I do. And I said, is there a kangaroo in the corner? She says, no. I said, is there thumping upstairs? She was so, her voice was just like, yes truly there is something upstairs. There's construction going on. I was excited too, because maybe reality was coming back, but I could still hear the loud music. And even though I knew it wasn't real, it was really, really, really loud. So a really nice nurse came up with a plan. She said, well, what does the music sound like? So we can maybe play some other music that sounds similar and you can sing it and it can drown out the bad music. I said, yes. So I, I tell her what the music sounds like. So, well, it's heavy metal, but like death metal, like really, really, really loud heavy metal with too much bass and too much guitar. And the lyrics are just really repetitive over and over again. Motherfucker! Her eyes got really wide and she says, oh my, well, that is very disturbing. How about we play the Beatles, Let It Be? You know that part where it says, Mother Mary, maybe that'll take it away? So I put in earbuds and every time I hear the motherfucker song, I press play and I sing, Mother Mary, won't you come to me, speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. And the motherfucker song starts to fade. I still see wavy wallpaper. So I asked the psychiatrist, how will I know at home if something's real or not? I don't want to scare my children. He says, oh, Julie, we don't let people go home like this. By the time you go home, you'll know what's real and what's not real. And I did but I'm not the same. Now, when I see people on the train or in a Dunkin' Donuts, and they're talking to themselves or acting strangely or dressed strangely, I don't look away, I don't move away. I just look at them and I smile because I know that they're probably really, really scared. Is storytelling a hobby? I'm trying not to be offended by the question, because I wonder if people ask musicians and artists and sculptors if that's a hobby. For me, it's an art, and it's also become an avocation that occasionally acts as a vocation. I teach storytelling, I work really hard at studying the art of storytelling and trying to become a better storyteller. And I'm part of a storytelling community and I give feedback to my fellow artists. So that's that. No, it's not a hobby.